It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I love 40s. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 616 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, December the 4th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got 27 NHL teams covered as of right now as well. A couple shows getting going this week to bring us to that 27. We've got the Locked On fantasy hockey show too which is great i don't even play fantasy hockey the fantasy hockey show is awesome you should definitely listen to it if you are a daily fantasy player or anything like that there's the locked on nhl national show too which is very good has great daily discussions on a whole bunch of different topics around the league uh and yeah sure i'm biased i am the manager of the network but still it's great i uh i think it's awesome stuff and it's a really good way to get back into hockey if you'd like and Hockey's a very toxic thing right now, and hockey culture is a, a bit of a bummer and is problematic and toxic and has a lot of things that need ironing out, but the people on the network are doing a great job talking about it in a really smart way, and I highly recommend you check out some of the shows to get a taste of what I am talking about. All right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors lost to the Miami Heat last night in Toronto, their first home loss of the season, 121-110 in overtime. And man, there's a lot to talk about from this game. It was a very interesting game. It was a super weird game. It was a very disjointed game as well, which I guess you'd kind of expect from a game between the two most deeply annoying teams in the NBA. I really, I've been thinking this kind of all season long that the Heat and the Raptors are sort of similar, sort of different roster constructions, obviously, but very similar in terms of A, their overall numbers. Their defenses are both very good. The Raptors are better better on offense and defense by a bit, but still similar numbers, similar net rating, similar sort of way of going about picking up wins, and just more, more than anything, similar levels of extreme annoyance when you watch them play and you sort of imagine yourself and put yourself in the shoes of the team they're playing against. And I fully expected this one to be a bit of an awkward, you know, slog when it came to the offenses, and I figured it'd be a defensive battle. The offenses actually fared a lot better in this game than I thought they would, but still, nothing ever really came easy for, especially the Raptors. The Heat had their own spells where they couldn't put anything together as well, um, but they also had their spells where Duncan Robinson scored a shit ton of points, and the Raptors were just completely helpless to stop it. And so we'll get all into the nuts and bolts of this game for sure. We will talk about Pascal Siakam, who had a maybe his worst game of the season. And I think we've said this now twice in the last three games. And look, I still fully believe that Pascal Siakam is like a top 15 player and he's incredible. But there are certainly some signs that, hey, maybe we got a little bit ahead of the curve. And look, I'm guilty of it. I wrote about him yesterday 
in relation to the Jazz game on Sunday and pretty much said he was unguardable, which is obviously not true, and maybe I jumped the gun a little bit. I still think he's doing a very good job, and you can read my post about it where I talked about how he's very, very good at diagnosing double teams now, and thankfully for the Heat, I guess, they didn't really have to send doubles Siakam's way and open up all those different ways in which he hurts you when you do send extra attention towards him. He was kind of shut down one-on-one by Bam Adebayo. We'll get into Bam today as well. He was excellent, and just this Heat team, man, like, as much as I just deeply hate them, and how much as they make your blood boil, make your skin itch, they're really good and really hard not to respect, and Jimmy Butler is just a bastard who you just have to bow down to, man. Like, he's just, like, a, a really, really good basketball player who had a sense for the moment last night that no one on the Raptors did, so we'll get into that, but I guess we should probably start today with Kyle Lowry, who uh, returned last night, which was very nice, kind of unexpected. He was listed as doubtful earlier in the day and then upgraded to questionable, and then Nick Nurse said he was good to go before the game, and it was a Kyle Lowry-ass game, man. (laughs) It was, like, what else would you expect from him? He comes in, he shepherds the offense along nicely, picks up 11 assists, he had 12 points uh, on just 2 of 18 shooting, a pretty rough shooting night for him. He had 6 boards, Uh, his defense was pretty good, his three-point shooting was not there. He was 0 of 11. Just sort of a perfect Kyle Lowry, poor shooting, still pretty effective in every other realm of the game kind of night. And I, you know, there's certainly some people today who are uh, upset with the way Kyle Lowry played, upset with his poor shooting, except upset with the three threes he missed in overtime that really could have helped stem the onslaught that Jimmy Butler was laying on the Raptors to start the quarter or to start the overtime. And, you know, I think there are people who are a little bit upset that Nick Nurse was, you know, riding with Lowry so long into the game as well. He played 41 minutes in his first game back. Obviously, with overtime, that's going to happen. And I think there are people who are maybe a little bit upset that Kyle Lowry played the overtime, which I guess I sort of understand. And and we'll play. Actually, let's just hear it now. Let's listen to Nick Nurse's answer when he was asked about the usage of Kyle Lowry late in the game. Then we can come back and talk about it. I mean, it was a it was a tricky one, you know. I think for 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 me tonight, you know, I I, I thought it was, um, you know, we tried to bring him back, and then he's kind of part of the comeback there at the end, and he made some plays. He was trying everything he could, and he and he made some good plays, and and then you get to overtime, you kind of roll with what you have. Um, but yeah, you I mean obviously that's a not a very good shooting night for him or for Fred, and and I would think that if those guys are Seven for 34, we're probably in trouble. So you can kind of sense there in Nurse's voice maybe like a little bit of an inkling that maybe he wanted to take him out for the overtime, you know, sort of rode him down the stretch as best he could. And look, man, the Raptors don't get to overtime without Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell, who was awesome in this game and had one of the ultimate like no, 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 yes games in terms of every single shot he put up felt like that. Um, But he was great. Kyle was great sort of shepherding things along and really calming things down. I think that was the thing Lowry did best in his first game back was he you know, in the times where it got chaotic and hectic, which was often in this game because the Heat do that to you, the like the things Kyle Lowry did to chill things out, you know, just 
go into the basket. He had eight free throws in this game, hit them all, was really able to sort of slow things down when it needed to be. He had a couple just kind of like fuck you drives to the rim where he was just like, no, I'm going to score now, and that's what it's going to be. I think both of his buckets came at the basket. Uh, One of them was through like, I don't know, three different Heat players uh, on a drive right after he kind of calmed things down midway through the fourth, um, and he scored, again, through just a thicket of arms, and that was the thing he did best in this game, and really without that sort of calm and orchestration of the offense late in the game to set up Norm for those opportunities that he got late in the game to, to score, the Raptors don't make it to overtime, and it's not even close. Like, they probably just sort of drift away. They were down eight, I think, at the four-and-a-half-minute mark or something like that after Pascal Siakam allowed uh, Kelly Olynyk to really go off, which was—we'll get to that in a sec. But the, the way that Kyle sort of pushed things to overtime, they don't get there without him. But, you know, I, I think you can kind of hear there in Nurse's voice like maybe he felt like it was the end of the rope for the first game back for Kyle his shot was not there obviously the legs are not going to be any more stable or less wobbly when you get to overtime playing 41 minutes in your first game in you know three weeks but he rode with him because guess what that's what you do when you have Kyle freaking Lowry on your team you have to ride him and he's usually going to make good things happen and it just didn't happen for the Raptors in the overtime and look it was a lot of Jimmy Butler, and there's only so much you can do when Jimmy Butler decides he's gonna, you know, go off, and he's, like, really scary, man. He's a dude that is just, he's a motherfucker. He's, he would fit really nicely in on this Raptors team, (laughs) because that's exactly what he is. Like, he just kind of has that ethos where, yeah, no, I'm gonna do this thing now, and there's nothing you can do about it. He hit this leaning three that uh, was changed from a two to the three in the overtime that was just like, well, what the hell are you supposed to do? He picked up kind of a chintzy and one on a, on a mid-range jumper from Gasol as well. And then he completely picked off a really lazy Siakam pass and went down, and those eight points served to be well more than the Heat needed at all in the entire overtime in the first minute of the OT. And, and Lowry just didn't quite have it shooting wise you know I wasn't really upset that he kept trying to gun for it because that's what you do when you're Kyle Lowry like you just you're a good three-point shooter eventually one's going to fall and if one or two of the extra threes that he put up fell you were talking about a different game right now and we're talking differently about Kyle Lowry if he's five of 18 as opposed to two of 18 or you know two of 11 as opposed to O of 11 from downtown and I still think there's a lot of good from this game with Kyle there's a lot of encouraging signs when it came to the bench unit and stuff like that. They started the second quarter, and I believe the fourth quarter with Kyle, with Abaka, Hollis Jefferson, Davis, and Powell as a bench unit, and it looked pretty good. The defense was really nice. There's just enough spacing out there, I think, to make it work, and it was a really chaotic and fun lineup in that second quarter and really sort of got the Raptors back in it after a pretty rough first, but in the fourth, it kind of ran counter to, you know, their, their annoyingness kind of went against them in that I think they were a little bit too out of control. You get to the point where the chaos and the unpredictability of it all kind of pushes past the point of effectiveness, and I think that's where the Raptors got themselves into trouble to start the fourth quarter, and again, Kyle was the one that chilled all that out, and then they brought the starters back in, and I I really had no problems with the way Kyle played in this game outside of the shooting. Everything else he did was good, and everything else was extremely Kyle Lowry, and so if you're sitting there today with an argument that Kyle Lowry should not have been playing, or that they should trade Kyle Lowry, or that Fred VanVleet's better than Kyle Lowry, I mean, just like... Do we have to keep doing this, really? I, I don't even like to acknowledge it. I know some people love to defend Kyle Lowry to the death, and I appreciate and uh, respect all of those people. Shouts to our pal Faisal Kamisa, who's taking on the hordes today. Um, I just feel like if you're acknowledging and indulging those anti-Lowry takes at this point, I mean, who's that helping, and who are you really talking to, right? Like, it just feels like a, a massive 
like not very smart people that you're that you're sort of punching down to if you're and I, I, hey maybe you're listening to this podcast look Kyle Lowry's awesome like he's really really good you should re- respect him and enjoy him and appreciate everything he's done because he's not going to be around forever and taking these little sort of micro failures that he has which aren't very common and using them to make some sort of grander point about him is pretty silly and pretty short-sighted and will be proven wrong I'm sure in very short order once Kyle Lowry does a Kyle Lowry thing in the next game or two, and he's been so good when he's played this year. His start to the season was so fantastic, it's really easy to forget considering how well the Raptors played uh, in the time without him. But like he changes everything for this team. He changes the ceiling, as Blake Murphy wrote about today at The Athletic. He you know, he does a lot to make this a more potent, deeper, and, and just strong team, minute one to minute 48. And I, I just, it's tiresome to have to argue it. Maybe it's a straw man we're creating. Maybe it's just these like eggs on Twitter who are mad about it. And most people understand and appreciate Lowry, but there feels like enough um, anger, like Lowry related anger that maybe it should be addressed. I just feel like you're really punching down to people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. If they still are on the anti-Lowry train after everything we've seen over the last year plus, and it's just, I'm tired. Watch Lowry, enjoy Lowry, appreciate that he can have a 12-6-11 and 11 and be probably the best Raptor on the floor despite going 2 of 18. That's how good he is. <laughs> that's just that's just the deal with him. And uh, if you're not used to that by now, I don't know what the hell the deal is. But um, anyway, I'm sure he'll drop 30 at some point in the next couple weeks here, and that'll be great. So... Yeah, interesting return for Kyle. I wouldn't say it was the greatest return for Kyle, but uh, nice to see him back on the floor. And I think you're seeing some signs of what the team might look like as they work him back in. And I, I think that bench unit in particular, if they can kind of chill out a little bit and look like Rondé probably had his worst game of the season. He, he's not going to be that bad all the time. I think Terrence Davis, you know, he was a plus 12, <laughs> which is funny. The only plus on the team didn't have like a great shooting night or anything. He had one of those threes where he kind of stepped into it and you would have expected it to go um, because that's just what seems to happen anytime Terrence Davis steps into a three at this point, but um, that was sort of a big one too that that missed and they just the Raptors could never really get it strung together in this one and the rhythm was not there and that leads me to the topic of Pascal Siakam who of all the players who did not have their rhythm in this game it was Pascal Siakam whose rhythm was the very much most confused and broken up by what the Miami Heat were doing, and we'll get to that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash NBA. And if you're listening on the go and you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. That is LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
All right, so let's get into Pascal Siakam's game. As I mentioned off the top, probably his worst game of the season, all told, when you factor in both offense and defense. There have been a lot of games this season where maybe his offense has been a little bit janky, and he's had a sort of crooked shooting line, but his defense has kind of made up for it. Not so much in this game. He was really sort of inattentive defensively, which was weird in a game where it seemed like everyone else on the floor was very attentive. And, you know, when Myers Leonard's going off on you for 16 points, and a lot of that is with you guarding him. Sorry, not Myers Leonard, Kelly Olynyk. There's so many white players in the Heat. Uh, but when Kelly Olynyk's going off on you for for you know 16 points and really kind of doing it easily and keeping the Heat in it late in the game, like that's that's on you, man. And Siakam was just not there. And I think you know Siakam was kind of a big reason why the Raptors' defense, which really again once again sold out to stop Jimmy Butler the way they have with a lot of stars throughout the season, um, Siakam and just by extension, everyone else, the rotations were just a little bit slow, just sort of a beat too uh, too far behind what the Heat were doing. And, and look, credit to Butler, he was getting it out quickly and sort of knew exactly what was coming with those traps. And I think the Raptors were getting stuck where they were trapping super high and had him really close to the half court line. And when that happened and, and Butler was able to get it out, there was just so much space for the four on three to unfold. Not a lot of room to... Uh, recover for the Raptors just because the distances they were covering were so so great and there was just a lot of weird breakdowns that you don't don't normally see with the Raptors and look I don't expect that to continue they were the number two defense in the league coming into the game and I would expect that's going to keep going and they're going to stay in the top five and you know this was a weird hiccup of a game but um, certainly some things to think about when it comes to their defense and sort of their their selling out to stop the stars and you know against a team like the heat where when you come into the game maybe it doesn't seem like the heat have a ton of guys who can burn you but then you know Duncan Robinson goes six of nine from three and Myers Leonard goes two of three that's kind of all you really need those two guys going off really screwed the Raptors over and ran counter to what their defense typically tries to do and you know funnel it to bad players and funnel it to bad shooters and look it worked in some cases like Kendrick Nunn was 0 of 9 from 3 in this game uh noted guy with a passive domestic abuse Kendrick Nunn people seem to forget talking about that for some reason when uh they're talking about what a great story Kendrick Nunn is and oh man how could this guy come from nowhere uh it's because he had to switch schools when he was in school because of a domestic violence case you should probably mention that uh when you're talking about his wonderful and Cinderella rise, um, but that's a, an aside. Just don't forget about this stuff just because they're good at basketball, please. Um, but yeah, none was bad, and you know they kind of got a bad night out of Tyler Hero, which was nice. But there were just enough contributions. You know, Justice Winslow had a nice little stretch of the game where he kind of kept the offense flowing for Miami. Duncan Robinson again had his little stretch, and eventually it led to Jimmy Butler kind of getting free in, in in the overtime and late in the fourth quarter. And there was just there were too many different guys from different angles. And too many guys who had little pockets of the game where they burned the Raptors for how they were defending Butler, and they just couldn't keep up. And so that's something to think about for sure. And how do they sort of approach superstars who also have pretty good supporting casts? And I wonder if there's maybe a bit of a scaling back of the aggression that they've showed when they come across these teams. We saw it with the Mavericks as well. And, you know, the Mavericks don't have an amazing supporting cast per se, but they have a lot of good shooters, and that's a problem. And a lot of good spot-up guys and guys who can make stuff happen on swings and stuff like that, like DeLon Wright. Um, So just a a thing to keep an eye on with the Raptors' defense. I have no doubt that they can adapt and sort of be a little bit more multiple with their defense and sort of change things up and throw different looks at a guy. And they do have the one-on-one horses, I think, to 
really give those stars a problem once in a while as well. Instead of having to send multiple guys, you can just throw OG on a guy like Butler. And I think OG had a really good defensive game last night. And I think you can sort of rely on that a little bit as well. If you if your sellout defense isn't working, you can kind of you know fall back to one-on-one. You got RHJ as well who can do that a bit too. Um, and I think there's a way to sort of balance it a little bit if you're the Raptors. And maybe they, they're working on that. Maybe they're working on sort of being more adaptable the, the way they were last year in the playoffs where their defense wasn't really set. It was just whatever Marcus Gasol called on a given possession based on what he was seeing. And maybe they're working themselves back towards that as they work in these bench guys and sort of get back to full steam here um but to back to the topic of pascal siakam his defense was bad his offense was worse um and bam out of bio really spooked him and like you can add bam to the list of i don't know Giannis Embiid, and sometimes jonathan isaac of the guys who really give siakam problems in one-on-one coverage it's not a long list obviously not many teams have a guy like that and if you're looking up and down the eastern conference i mean the celtics certainly don't have a guy like that and i don't think anyone outside of the heat Sixers and Bucks have that guy and look those are teams you're probably going to play in the playoffs so that's maybe some cause for concern but I also think it's nice to hear that Pascal Siakam is you know very understanding of the fact that he was too passive last night and he spoke about this after the game actually let's listen in to what Pascal Siakam had to say about his lack of aggression with Bam Adebayo on him I mean I missed some shots but then um I don't think I was aggressive enough and um yeah, like I just didn't like catch any rhythm and and um, just going to like some some of the the minutes that I played and 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 just not being aggressive and then you know like I just I just felt like could have been way more aggressive and and um, obviously uh, I didn't make the shots that I took but but then I, I just wasn't like I, like aggressive enough I think. Is that the result of not finding a rhythm? Like, it's sort of naturally... Yeah, I mean, I guess, all right? Like, I think I got to understand that, you know, I have to be in attack mode all the time. Like, that's who I am. So, and um, being, you know, one of the leaders of the team, like, I have to expect to, to, to go out like that 100% of the time, every single game. So, um, you know, it depends. There's going to be games where, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I got to I gotta do a better job than that making sure that I'm always aggressive and, and that, you know, like once we get to overtime and things like that, you know, I'm in rhythm and not just feeling like I just started a game or something. So there's Pascal talking about how he definitely has to be more aggressive when he has these matchups on him. And look, Bam Adebayo is awesome. It's exhausting. I know we have bad feelings about Bam considering the last game of the season back in 2018 when he hit Fred with that screen and Fred kind of had his playoffs ruined because of it. Um, and But man, Bam rules. He's just, he's really smart. He's a really good defender. He's so nimble for a guy of his size and his sort of like girth. <laughs> it's just like a, a walking muscle. And you know, he's just got nice touch. And I made this point last night. I kind of think He's going to be like this next decade's version of Marcus Gasol, where he's just really smart. He's probably going to be on all defense teams, maybe screw around and win a defensive player of the year at some point. Although, as I guess his like raw sort of counting numbers defensively aren't amazing, but it shouldn't matter. He's just always in the right spot, and he really sort of messed with Siakam last night. Could not find any space. They tried to run a bunch of screening actions for him early on, and that was it. Like refreshing to see because I think we've seen. 
a few times this season when Siakam has been up against a tough guard. You know, we've seen it with Jonathan Isaac like 7,000 times as they've played the Magic that many times. But um, they've kind of been a little bit slow at times to get Siakam into those screening actions to try to find him switches and stuff like that. And like Adebayo was just having none of it in this game as they sort of changed things up and went to it early and tried to find switches, Adebayo was just fighting through every screen, fighting over, fighting under, and Siakam could just get no breathing room. And I think we're kind of seeing here with Siakam that it really, a lot of his sort of success comes down to whether or not he can find a rhythm, because he is very much a rhythm player. Like, once he gets that stroke going from outside, it seems pretty hard to slow him down. Once he gets that mid-range touch going, it's pretty tough to slow him down. Once he gets to sort of feel for what a defense is doing, and the Jazz were really complicit in this, where they just, like, allowed Siakam to be able to predict what was coming. Their their doubles were not very ingenious. They were pretty much rote every single time you knew where the defense was coming from. And when you give Siakam that kind of repetition and understanding of what's about to come to him, he's really good at dissecting and, and picking it apart. And Adebayo just kind of changed the way he, he messed with Siakam. He messed with him in a bunch of different ways. And I think by the time he got to the third quarter or so, and even crunch time when it really would have been nice. And, and, and credit to Siakam, he tried a couple times to just sort of, you know, say, screw it, and I'm going to take it to the basket. I'm going to try to get contact. I'm going to try to get fouled. And he did that a few times, but he didn't get the calls. Um, and this was a weird sort of very foully game, and the refs seemed kind of out of their depths. But this, you could have called a million things on either side that didn't get called and vice versa. Um, you know, it was just a, a weirdly refed game between two very physical, annoying teams that I'm sure are extremely hard to officiate. And so I'm not going to put anything on the refs in this one for the Raptors losing, but there were a couple times where Siakam tried to bail himself out, didn't quite work, and I think after a couple tries, he kind of got discouraged with it, and it just it didn't really play out for him the way he wanted to, and his aggression went away, and it really felt like as you got to crunch time, it was kind of odd to see Norm out there in place of OG because Norm was having a good, good offensive game, was really the only reliable offensive player on the floor for Toronto, and it was really alarming to see Siakam out there, but really not have anything run for him. It was just like a lot of Gasol getting it up at the arc, you know, a lot of handoff stuff with Lowry trying to gain a little bit of space, but the Heat are so damn annoying that they don't give you any space, and Siakam just kind of seemed a little bit passive. And again, credit to him for, you know, that clip there where he was talking about how he needs to be more aggressive, and it's on him to uh, not get discouraged by those good defenders, but something to keep an eye on for sure. I, I don't think Adebayo is in the same tier as like Embiid and Giannis just because their length is so troubling for Pascal, but it is something to keep an eye on for sure. I think he's probably closer to the Isaac tier of defender for Pascal and that, you know, he can find ways around it and, and, and work on counters and whatnot. And as he sees him more, I'm sure he'll figure it out a little bit, but definitely, uh, someone who belongs on the Pascal Foils list, which again is not super long and is pretty elite company and, and man, bam out of bio rules. And, we can kind of get into the topic of the Heat in just a second here as well, because they're a really impressive team uh, and could be a problem down the line. But first, but first, I want to remind people that you can be right here on this show and have your company sponsor the podcast. If you're looking for some exposure to a largely male 18 to 35 demographic, please consider sponsoring the podcast. You can reach out to me, uh, sean.woodley1 at gmail.com, and we can get that process started for you. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so let's wrap up the show here and quickly touch on the Miami Heat as a whole, as a general idea. I went into last night's game not really buying it. Not having seen the Heat up close, I mean, I've seen their games, I've seen, you know, moments here and there. I don't think I've watched a Heat game start to finish, but, you know, you watch the second half when there's crunch time and stuff like that. And as good as Bam and as good as Jimmy Butler are, I still was just kind of not sure if I totally bought it. Like, a team starting Myers Leonard doesn't exactly inspire fear. Duncan Robinson is a dude who, I made the joke last night, like, he's a Twitch stream host-looking-ass player. There's Kendrick Nunn, who's a rookie who I think maybe will end up being kind of one-dimensional as a scorer and maybe not much else. You have, you know, Justice Winslow, who we don't really know what the hell he is. You got Tyler Hero, how can you trust what his what he is off the bench, but... Man, it's a really well-coached team. Eric Spolstra continues to be awesome. Jimmy Butler is just a bastard, as I mentioned off the top. And there's enough on this team to really worry you. And I wonder if there's a deal for them to make out there. Like, if they got Chris Paul, I would be absolutely horrified of this team, and I would maybe pick them to make the finals, just how well-coached they are and how good Chris Paul still is, um, even though people seem to not want to think that he's good. I think it would just be like a really rugged and annoying team to play against, more so than it is right now. And look, it is a deeply annoying team to play against. They're so frustrating. They jump passing lanes that like no other team is willing to even get off their couch to go and jump. I mean, you have like just think these basic swings around the horn that most teams do without any sort of issue. And they're like jumping the pass between the elbow and the corner. And it's just like, get away. You're you're so goddamn annoying. And look, the Raptors do this as well. And like I I made the point in my, in my recap for Raptors HQ is these are the two most annoying teams in the league. I'm pretty sure. And I'm not exactly surprised this game went to overtime and kind of came down to which team could be just a little bit more of a nuisance. But, uh, seeing the heat up close they're they're not to be trifled with, man. They're really good. Jimmy Butler is awesome. He had the triple double last night, 12 assists as the Raptors are really sending a lot of attention his way early on. And he just was not phased by it. And there's just, there's good players here. There's just good, solid, good players. I don't, I still don't think their roster, like, 1 through 9 is as talented as the Raptors. Like, the Raptors have a pretty steady... There's not really any drop-off, right? Like, I still think, like, Derek Jones Jr. is not much if you get to a playoff series. I don't really trust Kendrick Nunn in a playoff series. I don't trust Myers Leonard in a playoff series. There's a lot of these guys who I'll have to believe it... You know, I'll have to see it to believe it, sorry, uh, when we get to the postseason. But on their way there, they're going to be hella annoying, and they have a good shot of getting some home court in the first round. And, man... Is there ever a team that I don't want to see in a four-five matchup? Like you can get a, you can be okay with the Celtics. I don't think the Sixers will end up being there. Like I think it's probably the Heat, Celtics, and Raptors who are probably vying for those spots anyway. The Sixers, I think, are really good and we will figure things out. Um, and ultimately, I think you know if there's a four-five, I think it's likely going to be Heat, Celtics, Raptors, Celtics, or Raptors, Heat, and you know any of those. That sounds not terribly fun. Um, and the Sixers could be in there too. I don't know. The, the, the both. All these teams are really good, and I think you're going to rack up wins against a pretty shitty conference. But the the here a problem, man. And I, you know, people will make the take like, oh, we should see this in the playoffs. How fun would that be? Heat and uh, and Raptors in the postseason. Let's see seven games of that. No, like we've seen seven games of Raptors Heat in the past. This would just be like a more talented but more annoying version of that. <laughs> and I really don't feel like having my blood pressure raised by a basketball series. I, th- enough of that happened last year. A nice low-stakes series against the Pacers or the 
Celtics or the Magic or the shitty Nets would be just fine to me. Um, and it's going to be a fun race. I, th- I still think the Raptors are probably cut out for more regular season success. I think they can withstand injury more than the Heat can. If the Heat lose Butler or Bam, I think they're really in trouble just because I don't think they're terribly deep in terms of reliable guys who can sort of carry the team. The Raptors obviously proved that without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, they're just fine. And, you know, that was another low-key sort of factor in this game is as you're trying to work Kyle back in, having the Heat just constantly in your face and violating your personal bubble at every turn, not exactly an easy way to sort of ease Kyle Lowry back into the game. Actually, Nick Nurse made the point before the game that he wanted to see uh, Butler eased, or sorry, see Lowry eased back into action, and there's just no ease against the the Heat. It just doesn't happen, and so I'm not exactly surprised that the Raptors were disjointed and not exactly smooth when Kyle was on the floor or when Kyle wasn't on the floor. They were figuring out new lineup combinations and rotations. This is the worst possible team to be thrown into the ringer against because, like, they're just... They're very, very frustrating. They're very in your face. They're just like, they're like the Kenny Banya of teams. <laughs> they're just like constantly like, hey, we're the Miami Heat. Want to go for dinner? We're going to be right, right in your face. Hey, hey, we're the Miami Heat. How's it going? How's it going, Toronto? And they're that, that's what they are. They're the Kenny Banya of teams and that no one wants to go up against that dude. He's annoying as hell. <laughs> and yeah, so hopefully people understand the Seinfeld reference. If not... Go watch Seinfeld. Uh, get educated. But yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be it for today's show. The Heat are good. The Raptors are also good. There's not like panic from this loss or anything like that. It's a pretty understandable loss if you're Toronto, considering everything that happened and the fact that they were in this game late, despite shooting 11 of 43 from three and having Pascal and Fred and you know Rondé and kind of everyone having rough nights. It's not exactly. Uh, surprising they lost this game. It, it is surprising that they made it to overtime. And the comeback they made late in the game was some serious don't underestimate the heart of the championship. <laughs> like having Norm just sort of go ice cold for a little bit uh, in the good kind of way and, and knocking down a couple threes and having a couple just like killer drives and just deciding a little bit to take over was A, encouraging because I didn't think Norm was going to be awesome off the bench as we talked about with the podcast on Tuesday, um, but he was and that was great to see and, and you know, th- it was a really stirring comeback and, and nice to see it in a way that I, I didn't, didn't expect it to happen considering how they were playing up to that point, so uh, not all doom and gloom. They're still 15-5. and five. They've won three out of four games this season and it's also not like this game was sort of it's not like it had to be a statement game either. It's not like the Raptors don't have good wins. They just waxed the Jazz. They beat the Sixers last week. They beat the Lakers. Like, they have good wins on their ledger, and it wasn't like this was their first real test in a while. And they're going to get more tests coming up. They've got Houston on, on Thursday. How much of a test they are, I'm not sure, considering they're kind of a disaster um, and just, like, the weirdest possible team. they got the Sixers as well coming up on Sunday. Those will be fun. And then you got the Clippers. And then it's kind of easy from there on out for the rest of the month. I know there's a couple of Boston games in there, but there's also, like, Washington and Brooklyn and Cleveland and Detroit and OKC and Cleveland again. And, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly worried about the upcoming schedule here. It's pretty home heavy and it's, uh, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to see how the Raptors kind of re- react to this win or to this loss to the Heat and, and get back on the trail because I would assume that's what they're going to do. They're very good, you see. Uh, and uh, one rough game is not something I'm going to get too, too worried about. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Really appreciate it. We'll be back again on Thursday. Whether it's a 
probably going to be an after Rockets game type of podcast. So late night, uh, keep an eye out there. We'll have another episode on Friday, maybe a mailbag or something like that on Friday to close out the week. So keep an eye out for the call for questions. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated. Uh, You can also get We the Champs as well if you're looking for a secret Santa gift or something like that. It's a really good thing to pick up. It'll fit under your $20 limit very easily. So pick up We the Champs at uh, Indigo, Amazon, TriumphBooks.com, wherever it is that you'd like to pick up your books. It's probably there. I've seen it at like Scholastic Book Fairs and stuff as well. So there's no shortage of ways to pick up we the champs by myself and alex wong with jack armstrong on the forward a lovely christmas gift for the raptors fan in your life okay that will do it i will talk to you next time with another episode of locked on raptors hey prime members You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.